Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending. It's great to be back with you. I've been out this week, as you can tell, my voice with a little bit of a cold, but I'm jumping back in the ring here. It's great to be with you. We're going to be joined in a few moments by Dr. Christine Bacon, diving into the topic of communication, becoming a better listener, a better communicator, overcoming many of those faux pas we all have in communication to be direct, clear, and find solutions. Isn't that what many of us hope, whether it's marital and dating relationships, familial relationships, professionally? These are excellent resources to dive into with Dr. Christine Bacon, who is a pro at communication. And she has an incredible story herself, whose marriage was falling apart in part because of communication. And praise the Lord, because of great skills and a lot of prayer as well, she saw incredible improvement and healing within her marriage. So we're going to talk about the four communication styles and becoming an active listener. Later on in the show, I'll be joined by Pam Stenzel, who's an international speaker on the topic of chastity and is on the front line confronting the crisis right now with regard to abortion. She works as a senior regional clinic coordinator for pregnancy resource centers in Southwest Florida. And she's going to share with us the latest news on the chemical abortion pill that if you are involved in the pro-life movement, care about what's happening, want to see an end to abortion, you need to know what's happening right now because it is changing rapidly day to day with regard to how Planned Parenthood and the abortion movement is telling women to kill their babies in the ways that it does not even jive with historically what we've known in the abortion movement. Yet this is what they're doing because they don't care about just making money. They want to see these children dead and that's how barbaric it is and why we need to be prepared to respond. So we'll talk about that in just a little bit here on Trending. Joining me now is Dr. Christine Bacon. You can find her radio program, Dr. Christine breakfast with the bacon she talks a lot about in particular the issues of communication that are so important so today we're going to unpack how to become an active listener and a better communicator dr bacon welcome back to trending thank you so much tim maria i just want to add real quick i went from from filing for divorce 30 some years ago and this coming week we will be celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary so this stuff works Praise the Lord. That is incredible news. And Dr. Bacon, I think that's something that people need to hear because I know of so many couples where they're there. They're either tolerating each other, have already filed for divorce, yet there are stories of hope and healing, especially when we bring our faith into it and good active skills such as listening and communicating. So let's dive in. Uh, What I think is the best place to start for me is often with regard to communication is often listening. I find as a society, even just in the polarizing culture we live in, we struggle to listen to one another, to hear each other's arguments. So where do we begin with practicing active listening? Well, I like the fact that if you're talking about this topic because 90% of our communication has got to be listening. If you think in terms of our Catholic faith, listening is 
selfless. It's focused on the other and talking is focused on the self. So I'm glad you really chose this topic. And if I really want to know, if I really care about my husband or you or my sister or the, the barista at my local you know, store, I really need to, so we can start with various things. Um, just looking at someone's body language lets you know if they are truly listening. And, and I know you're pretty much an expert on that, but you know, open body language. Are my arms crossed around my chest? Is my head down? Do I really appear as if I'm listening to you? Something as simple as that can let you know if you're an active listener or not. Mm-hmm. Body language is huge. And it's interesting because some people say this is just how I stand. What would you say to arguments such as that? Don't fix it. <laughs> what did you say? Don't fix it. <laughs> fix <Don't>, it. <laughs> yeah. Like when my husband and I, during our bad years, and it's funny because I love him and my friends call him grumpy old Dan. And we said, Dan, put a smile on. He goes, this is just my face. And I'm like, well, fix it. <laughs> you know, if your face looks frowning, if your face looks like you're not welcoming this person, then, then we have the power to change it. So how about I give you a couple of the things that are good for active listening and you tell me which one you really want to focus on because the biggest things we talk about are, are asking open-ended questions. Really paraphrasing is huge because it proves to the other person, I really heard you. Um, mm. And empathy, which some people might think, what does that have to do with, with um, active listening? And you know, requesting clarification. So is it, Timory, did you say this or did you say that, which is similar to paraphrasing? And then eye contact, which is so different for <laughs> men and women, mm-hmm. right? Yes, absolutely. So let's unpack a little bit of that. So eye contact, as you mentioned, is important and different. We can touch on that in a bit, but let's start with what is paraphrasing because I find often people don't know what this is. And I think it's important because even recently I had a family member who's getting married. It's a first time marriage. They're in their 40s. And he was talking about his soon-to-be wife's comments surrounding wedding planning and he was just sharing how she was just going through a verbal dump on him and he wasn't really sure how to handle it and it was a lot and I laughed I said the great thing is all you have to do is sit there and be an active listener and he looked at me like a deer in headlights like what are you talking about what is that and I said listen this is what that is so what is a paraphrasing also known as active listening I just I want to meet you in real life one day because you're really sharp at this which is great Um, paraphrasing is just checking to make sure we get it. So sometimes we have fights because, well, you said such and such. Well, no, that's not what I said. So if your spouse, your friend, your colleague says something, the best strategy, especially if they've talked for, you know, two, three, four minutes is to say, so, so let me, let me repeat that. So what you're trying to say is, is that you're really frustrated every time such and such happens. That gives the person who spoke an opportunity to say, no, that's not exactly what I was saying. Or they can say, yeah, yeah, that's it. And and further, even if you got it wrong, even if you said, Timory, um, so what I'm hearing you say is ABC. You feel good knowing that Christine Bacon's actually trying to hear you because of the fact that I'm repeating back to you. So even if you messed it up, paraphrasing works to both of your advantages. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Making the other person feel heard and the other person working on understanding, as you mentioned, it's more selfless. It's very Christian and virtue centered. Yeah. And it gives the other person a chance to clarify. Mm-hmm. So thanks, Dan. I, 
no. So the first part of what I was saying, you got, but don't forget what I what I meant by it was that I feel frustrated if we spend more than, you know, $300 each month on entertainment because, you know, whatever. So giving that chance. And then the other person goes, oh, because active listening, as you're well aware, does not mean we have to agree with each other. It just says, I hear you. I hear where you're coming from. And now here's where I'm coming from. So always put the other person first. And active listening does that. You've heard them. Let them hear you. One of the things that I find interesting about active listening as well, especially when someone maybe needs to talk or they haven't fully teased out why they're frustrated, is it actually helps another person to get to the bottom of things on their own. It's almost like a mini counseling session in many ways. Or, again, just helping people think through this, which especially women, we tend to be verbal um, to talk out loud, right? To talk through our ideas. I can't remember what that word is right now. Uh, But it's interesting because if... For example, I were to say something and you did the active listening. Maybe I said, oh, I feel terrible. I've had a cold all week. And you said, oh, you've had a cold all week. And then I say, yes, but maybe I need to share more. So maybe I say, yes, I haven't slept too. I've been up with the baby. You know, you could go through. And so maybe I needed to vent or share a little bit more as to why the week's been hard. You then continue to repeat what's been said. Why is that important and how does that help people? Or does it kind of just allow a person to spin out and maybe harbor resentment in the conversation? Well, I think it does both. It lets the person be heard. It lets the person vent. Sometimes that's all we want is to vent. Sometimes, you know, emotions build up, stress builds up. And as you know, our cortisol is our stress hormone. And it's just so high that sometimes you're like, I just need to tell you, I had a bad week. I didn't sleep. I had a cold. The baby screamed. I, then I broke a nail and I don't have a nail appointment for five days. And I just frustrated. <laughs> you know what I mean? So sometimes it's just enough to let it out. And for the other person to not try to fix it, not try to tell you you're wrong about your feelings, but just to go, sounds like you had a horrible week. So, um, I get it. I'm here for you. You know, and so so venting is one thing. I do also want to add, Timory, in that I don't remember if we touched on it the last time I was on the show, but the difference between introversion and extroversion, just very quickly, people who choose to introvert themselves, they tend to think first and speak later. They process internally. Extroverts, people who get their energy from the outer world, tend to speak first and then think later. We put our foot in our mouth way more often because of that. But a lot of times an extrovert is just going, I just need to talk it out, talk it out, talk it out, as you referred to. My husband, we always joke, he would say to me, what the heck are you trying to say? And I would say, disregard 75% of it. When I'm done, I'll know what I was trying to say. (laughs) Now take an extrovert and a female because For females, Mm -hmm. our verbal center is wrapped around, or excuse me, our emotion center, the amygdala, is wrapped around the verbal center. So when a woman is feeling anything, whether it's a happy emotion, a sad emotion, angry, distrusted, disrespected, uneasy, bitter, she can recall that emotion in 2.8 milliseconds. But men... Their, ver- their emotion center is wrapped around their spinal cord. So when they feel something, they actually have to move their body, hit a wall, jump, you know, work out. But when it comes to this active listening, as we're talking about, women are going to put a whole lot more emotion words out. Women are going to be able to retrieve the language that they need 
much more quickly than a man can. So we've got to cut the mental slack. Not that mm. he can't actively listen, but we have to remember that our men aren't going to be as good as it as we are typically. Typically, don't anybody call in Timory and say that you're, you're better to <laughs> get it, right? But we've got these skill sets in terms of this relationship and communicating and hearing uh, that men don't necessarily have. But it doesn't excuse any one of us. Mm-hmm. And I just want to re-emphasize something you just said because I think it was a very significant with the difference between male and female brains and communication and emotion. You mentioned the amygdala, that emotion center being wrapped around the verbal center for women and the spinal cord for men. And you mentioned how for men it's helpful to work out, move, be active to help process emotion versus women, we tend to talk it out. I thought that was really incredible. I've never heard that specific side-by-side example. I know we talked a lot about male-female differences last time, but that was significant for why maybe men just need to walk it off, go to the gym, yeah. you know, get get out and move a little bit, maybe do some workout in the garage or gardening, whatever it might be. Yeah, that's why you see the TV commercials that are always joking when your guy wins, you know, the touchdown. The guys are the ones that jump up and spill their popcorn because their bodies have to move. And the women are like, yeah, you know, we hold it in. But Timory, when when we talk about active listening, and I mentioned earlier eye contact, it connects right to what you and I were just saying there because women tend to make eye contact better. So I don't want you ladies listening to judge the men in your life if they are not making direct eye contact with you or sustaining it because research has shown Women make eye contact and they can stare at each other for the entire duration of a conversation. Men tend to move their bodies and thus they don't make eye contact as much. If you look and study little girls, they're sitting in a circle looking at each other, talking. If you study boys, they're shoulder to shoulder. So if you want your guy to listen to you, what I often say is go for a walk. That gives the man the physical ability to walk and, and, and stimulate that part of his, you know, the spinal cord and emotions. He doesn't have to make eye contact with you, but it actually helps him to listen. Mm-hmm. And then he can paraphrase better. So it was something that was really interesting for me years ago when I found that out. So don't judge him if he's not staring into your eyes the whole time. That might actually distract him. And I know for me, this is hard. I know that men don't like eye contact as much. or not, It's not that they don't like it. They're just not wired that way. And I have to remember that. But still, sometimes I'll be trying to communicate something. And I'm just like, look at me. Are you, is this, is this registering? And that can be really hard when communicating because our, what our preference is, is like you said, that eye contact. But I do find it interesting. You mentioned walking, going for a walk. Sometimes I know it's easier for me because I have something else to focus on than trying to get him to look at me to make sure that we're communicating correctly. Right. right. And it's not like he can't make eye contact with you. It's just that women can sustain it for the entire conversation. For men, it just gets uncomfortable. And again, their brain is not operating the same way we are. So I'm not trying to say men never have to make eye contact. You know, you gentlemen listening, you still do need to um, show selflessness in, in trying to please your wife or your girlfriend. It's like, I know she wants me to look her in the eyes. Because so, when you're dating, you looked her in the eyes. It's, you know, just not as much. So an interesting comment, by the way, that my producer just made is he said when he goes on dates, he actually prefers things such as being able to do something that's walking opposed to just sitting the whole time having dinner. I thought that was interesting, especially if you're in the dating scene and maybe feeling a little uncomfortable sitting all the time. Mini golf, you always do stuff when you're dating. And that's why we fall in love, because it meets the needs of the female who just wants to talk and meets the needs of the male who wants to do and they both love each other. And, oh, yeah, I'll do that with you. And. It's just so cute. It's just that when we 
you know, the first two years of the um, love cocktail, when that wears off, then we have to be um, direct. We have to be more um, deliberate in how we communicate, remembering, oh, this is what we did when we were dating and it was natural. Now I need to be more deliberate in doing these same things, going mini golfing so that we can talk, going for that walk so we can talk, sitting men, sitting down and and holding her hand and, and trying to look her in the eyes for crying while she's talking. So mm-hmm. go back to those days and it'll help. Mm-hmm. Let's dive into some of the communication styles. And by the way, if you're just joining me, that's Dr. Christine Bacon celebrating some exciting news. You're about to celebrate your 40th wedding anniversary, almost threw in the the towel 30 years ago. And what what an awesome testament to communication skills and to the sacrament. Your website, you can be found at drchristinebacon.com. That's Christine, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. Bacon just out sounds.com. We'll post the link on social media. You have an incredible book as well in the super couples where you've interviewed many couples who are thriving their relationships. What does it take? And part of that is communication as you're discussing and you're a pro at helping coach people through. Let's talk about different types of communication styles. I know there are four that you tend to walk through. Can we talk a little bit about the passive and the aggressive types of communication styles? Sure. Everybody says the words, oh, that's, you're passive communicating. You're, you're aggressive. You're passive aggressive. And they really don't always know what that means. I just had someone say, well, that was passive aggressive. I said, no, that wasn't. That was actually very direct, but I'm sorry if it felt that way. So when you think about the communication styles, you have to think about whose needs are being met. Because in a communication exchange, Jimmery, um, I need to meet your needs. I want you to speak and I want you to be heard, but you need to meet mine as well. And so Passive communicators are are often the ones who are will let you have your needs met and they negate their own. Well, that's not ideal communication. Ideal communication is when both he, you know, both parties are getting their needs met. And a really good example that I use is if you ask a passive communicator, hey, um, Timory, I'm gonna pretend you're passive, right? Timory, do you want to go out for lunch today? And you didn't want to go out to lunch. You actually were busy and you wanted to work through lunch. But because you're passive, you might say something like, um, yeah, sure, sure. So I may not know you're being passive. I may not know that you wanted to stay home for lunch. So I'm like, great, I'll go get my coat, well, Chinese, you know, whatever. And if you're passive, you're, you're eventually that will, um, it's going to stress you out because you're constantly giving other people their way. And it's going to blow up on you at some point. You're going to be, why doesn't anybody ever give me my way? And then you feel bad for yelling. But you, in a sense, I mean, we all have to be aware. If we're doing active listening, this will happen less often. But if I'm the speaker, I might be aware of, oh, Timory, that looks a little bit tentative. Are you sure you wanted to go out? So I might give you an opportunity to back down. Like, well, yeah, I do have some reports. Some passive people are just passive that you have to help them out does that make sense yes and some people might say well you know they need to work on themselves but is part of this habit is part of it just our nature our individual personality quirks where's the balance in accepting this or maybe sometimes even expecting change from other people are you saying, are you asking if there's a balance or? Yeah, no. So, so you're talking about the different types of communication styles, right? And there are four that we're walking through. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people will say, well, that's just how I communicate. So is this just personality or is this something that can change? Where, where is change. kind of discovering yeah. this? 
So it is personality. It can change. It's nature nurture, right? So maybe you grew up in a house where everybody talked and you felt like you weren't heard, so you just learned how to shut down. Or maybe there was just a lot of conflict, and so it was easier for you to just give people their way. So I'm always a fan of nature and nurture. I have a granddaughter. She's adorable. Um, she's about to turn 13. We just went to Chick-fil-A yesterday. And she goes, Grandma, I want an eight-piece meal and the fries and, and a drink. So Cal wrote on the window. She goes, don't, don't, don't make me do it. I'm like, Kia, you're going to be 13. She goes, Grandma, can I just tell you? And you do it. <laughs> so, you know, I'm trying to teach her. I said, honey, I, I will order for you right now, but you're going to be an adult one day. You're going to have to learn to tell people what you need. Now, that may not sound like a big idea, Chick-fil-A, but if you are afraid of asserting yourself, your default will end up being passive and you will end up getting walked on. And again, part of it's your fault, part of it's the fault of the person who's walking on you because it's not necessarily that we're taking advantage of you. But again, if you start this pattern, a lot of husbands and wives usually have an aggressive and a passive person, ones who's like constantly, you know, they neutralize each other. Doesn't make it good, but they neutralize each other. And that's how come they get attracted. So um, it does need to be fixed. You do need to have your rights, your needs met. For anybody listening who tends to be passive, I need to tell you, find a way to assert your needs. Don't be afraid. And I work with this in my classes. You know, what do you have to be afraid of? If you think of fight or flight, the passive person is flight. And then mm. we can get into the aggressive person who's more about fight, not necessarily mm. physical. Well, let's dive into this more. I want to walk through these four communication styles, diving into what it means to become an assertive communicator, how we can all do so, and some tips you might have. That's Dr. Christine Bacon here on Trending with Timmery. You can find her at drchristine, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, bacon.com. We'll be right back here on Trending with Timmery with Dr. Christine Bacon, an expert communicator here doing a communication workshop with us. And also coming up, we'll talk about how the abortion industry What's the latest in them hurting women and trying to kill more babies? It's not just about money for them. They really do want to kill these babies. And the latest news on the abortion front, we'll share with you just that. Show sponsor Colby Academy is having a summer reading challenge. Start your summer reading journey today and discover new worlds filled with dragons, voyages, and much more. Get details and download a copy of Colby's summer reading catalog at relevantradio.com Colby. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Call Timory at 1-888-914-9149. Here's your host, Timory. Dr. Christine Bacon is with me now here on Trending. She is a communication and relationship expert, and we are walking through a communication workshop here on Trending. You want to be a better communicator at work with friends, family, in your dating relationships, this is your opportunity. Be sure to listen to the podcast, relevantradio.com forward slash trending. Wherever you catch your podcast, subscribe there to this episode. We just talked about active listening and working on active listening, how important that is. Now we're talking about the four communication styles. Dr. Bacon, you summarized the first two. If we could quickly summarize those again and then walk through the passive-aggressive communication style and then talk about how to be assertive communicators and how and why that's a game changer and something all of us can do. Yeah, assertive is huge. I want to get to it. So passive is where you're 
surrendering your own needs and everyone else's needs are met, not yours. Aggressive communicators are when I get my needs met. So if I use that, and I want to be careful about aggressive communicators, because I think when we hear that, we tend to picture this abusive or loud mouth person. Well, I was aggressive and I didn't realize it. And I'm as nice as can be. People like me. But here's an example. So Timory, I'm going to pre- you know, pretend you're an aggressive communicator. And I say, hey, Timory, um, you want to go out to lunch today? And you say, absolutely, I'd love to go. We're going to go out for Chinese. I'll go grab my coat. Now, listening to that example, you might be thinking, well, she said, yes, what's the big deal? Can you tell which part of that was aggressive? It says, let's go, let's go, grab your coat. It tells you what to do. Well, and I decided where we were going for lunch. Ooh, I've been craving Chinese. Let's go. I didn't even think to ask you, mm-hmm. would Chinese be okay? Did you want to do Italian? And and that was how I used to do things because I'd get so excited. It's like, oh, my gosh, I've been craving Chinese all day. You want to go? You, you know, or let's go. And so I, whose needs are being met? Remember, in all four of these styles, whose needs are being met? Mine, in that example, because I didn't think to ask you. So if we go over to passive-aggressive, right? So passive-aggressive, your needs are being met. Uh, in aggressive, my needs are being met. Passive-aggressive, nobody's needs are being met. We say for, for passive, it's fight. For aggressive, it's flight. For passive-aggressive, it's spite. And that mm. one is kind of, it, there's never a good time to use passive-aggressive. And I can give you examples of when passive might be good or when aggressive might be good. But passive-aggressive, never, ever, ever is a good example because no one needs get met. No one's needs, not the asker, not the, not the receiver. So if I said, Tamari, do you want to go out for lunch with me today? A passive-aggressive response would be, well, may as well. You always get your way anyway. <laughs> you know, or you can be passive-aggressive while we're at lunch and just being in a snotty attitude or past the salt or whatever. It's like, why are you being this way? It's like, I didn't want to be here, but, you know, I'm here for you. Well, how is that good for anybody? You didn't want to be there. The person doesn't want you to be nasty, but you are. So if, if you think of just sarcasm, teenagers are experts at passive aggressive. And, and here's a reason why. So here's an example why passive might somehow sometimes be good. Um, I think about my friend. I have a friend in prison, actually in Wisconsin. And when the prison warden or the guards say, you know, yo, you guys, let's go. It's lunchtime. He needs to be passive, whether he wants lunch or not. And he needs to go, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And because if he wasn't passive, then he could get in trouble. Um, likewise, we need to be aggressive sometimes. Fire! Get out of there now! You know, or jumping on someone and knocking him out of the way of a car that's coming. Or just, you know, anything. A dog is running. Aggressive. Sometimes a, a military leader tells troops, march west. You don't have a chance to say, I really don't feel like marching right now. My boots mm-hmm. are hurting. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. go! Um, but passive-aggressive, as I said, will never get us anywhere. Teenagers are passive-aggressive often because they're in this middle phase between, well, I if I want to get my needs met, I have to do, or, or let me just, <laughs> if mom wants her needs met, mom just told me to clean the room, so I'm going to clean the room, but I'm going to do it halfway. I'm going to shove stuff under the bed and kind of make the bed look terrible. So that's meeting the needs of the parents, supposedly, right? It's like, well, I'm just going to do enough to get you off my back. 
but I'm going to do some because I want to not get grounded. So I'm between adulthood and youth where I don't want you to tell me what to do, but I have to kind of be cautious. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Finding, you know, so here you go. You have the aggressor, you have the passive, and then you have just the spiteful, resentful, letting everything stew, saying no, or sorry, saying yes when you mean no. It's that confusing back and forth. Rather, the aggressive and the passive are a little more sure of themselves, but they might allow themselves to be either walked all over or to walk all over someone else. Versus, like you said, the passive aggressive, no one's happy in the situation. So, Dr. Bacon, how do you get to the point? And by the way, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's Dr. Christine Bacon. She's a communication and relationship expert. You can find her at drchristinebacon.com. We posted that on social media as well as in the episode notes for today's show. How do you become an assertive communicator, Dr. Bacon? So if you start with the premise that in assertive communication, both people's needs are met, right? So it's like, I want to make sure I meet the needs of the person I'm talking to. That means be an active listener, but then also don't be afraid to assert my needs. So if I said, um, hey, Timory, would you like to go out for lunch? And, and, assert, and remember, assertive doesn't mean you agree with me. So let's pretend you actually don't want to go out for lunch. So you might say, oh, Christine, I've got these reports I want to finish right now. Um, I got to get them done before the end of the day. Do you think we could go uh, tomorrow? And then it's this verbal tennis match as I talk about it. So you answered my question. Well, it's not really a good time. And then you threw it into my court with a question. Could we do tomorrow? And then that gives me a chance to answer your question. Well, tomorrow I won't be at work, but I am actually going to be in the neighborhood. We could stop by after work if you want to do you know, have dinner together. So something like that, where you're going back and forth. And I always like to remind people, assertive does not mean you agree with the person. It just means stand your ground, persist. And sometimes it's standing up for your own rights without putting other people on the defensive, but you're still considering their rights. Mm, And that's significant, finding that middle ground. So what are some examples of this? If you could walk through some concrete examples and skills that we can work on for becoming assertive communicators. Using iMessages. I think Mm. a lot of people listening have probably heard of iMessages. So instead of saying, you know, you never listen to me. That is taking my feelings and I'm pushing them on you. You never listen to me. But tweaking our words and all of this stuff you and I are talking about takes effort. I mean, Nothing's ever going to be that easy. You have to work on it. So instead of saying, you never listen to me, an assertive communicator would say something that it brings it to me first. I feel frustrated when I um, talk to you and you completely ignore me. Or I feel frustrated when I talk to you and you respond with a huh or fine or a what? What did you say? So then that way I'm telling, I feel frustrated when this happens. So it's letting the person understand, I'm not attacking you, I'm attacking these actions that take place. So it, assertive communicators take responsibility for their feelings and use these I messages when they clearly try to phrase it, you know, their, their perspective to the person mm. with, with whom they're talking. 
that's one way. Another way is to, unless you want to interrupt, I'm sorry. No, it's just thinking about it makes it situational rather than personal. So often we turn a situation into a personal attack, and yet this is just dealing with the, the situation and communicating in this instance. Right now, right. I'm feeling X, rather than bringing all this other baggage, past, present, and future, into the communication. Right, right, because when we do that, if you do use I statements, if you use assertive communication, you're staying on the issue level. If you start attacking the person, you're escalating up to the personality level. And if you stay on the personality level too many times, then it escalates up to the relationship level. And that's when people get divorced or break up or just don't you know, get estranged from the family member. We don't want to do that. We want to really try and stick with the issue. We are imperfect people. We're going to fail sometimes. But if you are a Catholic, if you are a Christian, and you're saying, let me be other focused, you're going to fo focus more effortfully on trying to share what the other person is saying. So, you know, I messages is just one way. Another one is just really, really trying to consider someone's point of view without interrupting before responding with your own point of view. And three seconds might seem like a short time, but it's really a good period of time. If you've said something and then I speak up because I'm like, okay. So, you know, again, we can paraphrase we can say, well, what I heard you say, Timory, is this, but I don't agree with that. Um, what I'm thinking is this. Or even if you do agree, my my mom used to always, um, when I first got a radio show decades ago, my, my mom used to call in and say, tell my producer, tell Christine she's cutting off her guests. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, but I would get so excited. But what in it, in essence, was doing was saying, my words are more important than your words. That's not what I meant, but that's what it was saying. You know what I mean? So you're saying to you use pauses to slow down for a few seconds after someone finishes talking and then also to use that active listening by echoing back what they've said. Yes. Yeah. It makes the other person feel like you're actually trying to hear what they said. So your two and, key takeaways yeah. today for becoming a sort of listeners, one, using I statements, taking the situation, saying I feel X and being able to explain what's happening. Two is really trying to take the other point of view, pausing, giving a few seconds, slowing down, but also echoing back what people have said with rephrasing. What's one other thing concretely that you would recommend that we do to start working on becoming an assertive listener? If you are a passive communicator, I want you to practice on saying no without feeling guilty. No, I really didn't feel like going out for Chinese. No, um, I would not like to go to Florida this year for vacation. You know, things like that. Don't feel guilty because you are not asserting your needs. And usually in a good relationship, people want your needs met. They want to know your opinion. So if you're passive, learn how to say no without feeling guilty. If you're an aggressive communicator and you want to learn how to better be assertive, just always, I think that pause is good um, to keep in mind, but also remember you may not always get what you want, um, but focus on getting the other person's needs met. So if you know you're aggressive, kind of focus on, so Christine, is this what you would like? You know, you say, say things that will allow the other person to get their needs met. Make it easier for them by opening the communication door better. So is it, so you're saying, Timmy, this is what you want to do? Because it's okay if you don't. Things like that. 
And what about for passive aggressive? What's one thing they can work on? Stop it. Just stop being sarcastic. (laughs) (laughs) Recognize that passive aggressive just destroys. I don't know if I told you this before, but passive aggressive is typically characterized by sarcasm. Oh, yeah, sure. Whatever you want. Yeah. mm -hmm. Sarcasm comes from the Greek word sarcosmos, which means to tear flesh. So if you really think about sarcasm, if you really want to tear the flesh of the people you're communicating with, that's fine. But know that you're tearing away a relationship. And if you don't want to tear at that relationship, recognize your sarcasm, your bitterness, your resentful tone, and work at speaking honestly and clearly. A quick question on this. Patricia from Reno, Nevada asked, does being assertive contradict what Jesus is telling us to with regard to being meek and to not put ourselves first? Oh, absolutely not. But that was a great question. Remember, assertive is different than aggressive. I think her question might be referring a little bit to being an aggressive communicator, which is meeting my needs only. Assertive is saying, I love you enough. I want to hear what you have to say. And if you're in a communication situation, typically the other person wants to hear your opinion too. So if if it was just one-sided, that's not what Jesus wants. He wants us to, to connect like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit do. Excellent. Thank you so much for being with us to help us work through these communication skills, helping us to understand what clear communication is, being assertive, overcoming passive aggressiveness, being passive or being aggressive. Dr. Christine Bacon, an expert at relationships and communication can be found at drchristinebacon.com. That's drchristinebacon.com. We'll be right back here on Trending to share with you the latest of what's happening on the abortion front and how to combat this in our own communities to help save lives. Show sponsor Colby Academy is having a summer reading challenge. Start your summer reading journey today and discover new worlds filled with dragons, voyages, and much more. Get details and download a copy of Colby's summer reading catalog at relevantradio.com slash Colby. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to Trending. What's happening on the abortion front? We are seeing this massive battle from state to state with pro-life legislation being passed and the radically pro-abortion legislation. Each state is different with much work to be done. No matter where you live, the pro-life states, seemingly pro-life, have a lot of work to do in making abortion unthinkable. We have seen over the last... 50 years that abortion was legal and people think what's legal is moral and when every state has a different position on it there's still this mindset that has to be gotten over that abortion's okay that it's not not necessarily right or wrong because i think a lot of people don't talk about things being right or wrong anymore but it's no it should be unthinkable not even thought of as okay or just something that happens now on the abortion front what we're seeing is a battle over chemical abortion the abortion pill makes up nearly 60% of all abortions yet isn't discussed enough it's what you're hearing about in the news with legal battles over this we'll see what happens in the days 
weeks and months to come, especially as all of our legislators come back from the summer break that has occurred. Joining me, though, today to discuss what's happening on the front line is Pam Stenzel. She's an international speaker who tackles tough issues surrounding sexuality with young people to help them make healthy and safe choices that also save themselves from marriage. She's also on the front line in Southwest Florida, working as a senior regional clinic coordinator for community pregnancy clinics. Pam, welcome back to Trending. Share with us the latest news on the chemical abortion pill. Hey, Timory, it's good to be with you. Let's first make sure everybody understands that the abortion pill is not the morning after pill. Some people refer to that uh, as the morning after pill, or it's sometimes called Uh, Plan B, which is basically an overdose of birth control. It's just if the day after having sex, you're like, oh, my goodness, within 24 hours, you can just take these pills. They're typically available at uh, at your pharmacies and all over college campuses and vending machines. So so that that's a different issue. And it's still not a good idea, still horrible for women. But what we're talking about specifically right now is the abortion pill and um and I would really encourage your um, listeners to, if they want in-depth information, because we don't have a lot of time to dig really deeply, but um, to go to the website, thisischemicalabortion.com. So it's thisischemicalabortion.com. And you can see so much great information about the history, how it got here, its beginnings, uh, its use, and all of those things. The, the, the most important thing for our, your listeners to hear and understand what's happening right now and the battleground that we're in across the country, no matter what your state law uh, is or is not, is that chemical abortion is, is, a, is supposed to be a two- a pill or two medication regimen. The first one is mifepristone, which is given to a woman between five weeks and 10 weeks of pregnancy. Some will say they can give it as late as 12 weeks. It really gets complicated if you go past uh, first trimester. Um, and, and that first drug basically blocks the progesterone, which is needed to uh, maintain a pregnancy. So, so basically uh, starves the baby to death. Um, by taking that first drug. Then the regiment was that you would take 48, 24 to 48, some say up to 72 hours, you would take the second drug, which is uh, misoprostol, which is a very dangerous drug. It used to be called Cytotec. And basically mm-hmm. what that will do is cause contractions and, and then expel the supposedly now uh, dead baby. So... Mm-hmm. Initially, when this first came on the market here, the FDA had very important REMS, which are uh, risk evaluation mitigation, right? Not all the drugs that FDA approves have these REMS, but very serious drugs with serious complication potential have to have these REMS. So the REMS were that you saw a doctor, that you were prescribed this medication by a doctor, and that you went for that first visit and that you not only saw the doctor who got your health history to make sure that that uh, this would not cause you know bleeding and and making sure you're you don't have history of ectopic pregnancy, so you would see the doctor and they would do an ultrasound. This way, they can adequ- adequately date the pregnancy. Just asking a girl when the last day of her first period was will not adequately date a pregnancy, and so they would have to do an ultrasound, and that way they could determine that the baby's not ectopic, right? That the baby's in the uterus and not in the tube because uh, the the abortion pill will do nothing for an ectopic pregnancy. In fact, the 
the uh, the the symptoms or the the consequence of taking the abortion pill is heavy bleeding and cramping, which could happen while your tube is bursting. Mm. So women who take the abortion pill with an ectopic pregnancy are at serious risk for for severe hemorrhaging and death, right? Mm-hmm. So we got to know that the baby's not ectopic and we need to know that baby's not past 10, 10, 11 weeks because if it is, there's further serious risk of hemorrhaging, sepsis, and and all of those things. So that's how it, that's how the abortion drug was being, or the abortion pill was being administered. Uh, COVID came along and the abortion industry decided to use COVID as an excuse to not have women right. come in for an appointment. And they said, oh, it's COVID, they can't come in. So they began to do telehealth chemical mm-hmm. abortion. Mm-hmm. It is so dangerous. And then after COVID, after COVID, it's gotten worse because now with uh, Dobbs' decision and the, the laws changing around the country in different states, they are trying to telehealth send these drugs to women in the mail. In other words, we don't know if it's even the woman getting it. What if it's a guy getting it and he's putting wow. these dangerous drugs in his girlfriend's drinks? We, we don't right. know how they're being used. Or with sex and then trafficking the other pieces, right now. Or, or with trafficking, we, we have no idea. And then, what? It, it, so it's all dangerous. Women are taking the, these drugs well beyond 12 weeks. We're having massive hemorrhaging. Uh, Dr. Bowles, who actually works in the Southwest Florida, um, and he is the head of the Abortion Pill Reversal Network for the, the United States, he sees women at Tampa Women's, and, and the stories of all these sepsis and these horrible infections and women entering uh, the wow. the emergency room with complications. It's just craziness. And then here here's the scariest thing, Timory, that we just found recently, and it, it's scaring me so much, is that there is no regulation on this mail-order abortion pill. Women are getting them from out of the country. They're getting them shipped to them no matter what state they're in. And, and what we have found is that women are being sent not the first drug, not the mifeprestone, they're being sent literally triple to quadruple the dosage of, of uh, misoprostol, which is that second drug, which is horribly dangerous. They're being sent like 14 pills. So that's 1400 milligrams of this very dangerous drug. And they're, they're telling these girls just to, just to take two at a time every three hours until they bleed out. We don't know how far along they are. Women are taking this in second trimester, we're having babies being born alive. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I mean, it, it, it's, it's absolutely disastrous what's going on and for women. And, and the problem is all of the ways we used to reach out to women, you know, be- between our pregnancy centers, between our sidewalk counselors, th- those all kind of relied on women finding you physically, right? And, and the sidewalk counselors, boy, they were our army. They were our last line of defense outside of those abortion clinics. But if women are now bypassing the abortion clinic and getting these dangerous mm-hmm. drugs in the mail, we have to get information to these women where they need it. And that's online. We've got mm-hmm. to have a presence where if they start Googling, I need the abortion pill or get the abortion pill or abortion pill near me, that they at least find some resource that will help them uh, not make a dangerous decision and and get dangerous drugs through the mail. Pam, this is all significant because it's changing how we reach women, whether it's our local crisis pregnancy centers we're supporting, or if you're a sidewalk counselor or someone in a school setting, how do you reach women 
with this information in your local community or is it more so the major websites like This Is Chemical Abortion or Abortion Pill Reversal? How are you reaching women in your own crisis pregnancy centers with the rise of chemical abortion? Yeah, so what we're doing, and, and, and we're spending a lot of money doing it too, by the way, it does cost money. And I'm so grateful for our amazing donors that understand the need for this. But, but our website that, that, you know, we use the, the Google SEO, we use all the, the AdWords and all of those so that if a woman near me uh, Googles, I want the abortion report, whatever, hopefully we show up there. And if she goes to our site, I have now a 24-7 nurse chat. It will pop right up on that site. And the nurse says, do you want some information of, about abortion, whatever, to click here. And we are now connected to that girl 24-7 to answer any questions she might have and, and to really encourage her to get an ultrasound, to, that we'll do it for free, to come and see us before she would make any decision about uh, either getting the abortion pill or going to an abortion clinic. Now, can you mention, I know you're working with a program to help implement the nurse side of online information for local crisis pregnancy centers on their own websites by outsourcing these resources from nurses. Can you share a little bit about how that works and where maybe people can give that information to their pregnancy resource center? Yeah, it's very simple. There's a website you can go to and find out more about this. It's called Infinite Worth. So if you go to infiniteworth.org, you can get all the information you need. And if you are a pregnancy center, uh, checking that out, you may be familiar with uh, the platform HopeSync. But if you're not, then you'll get a, if you go to infiniteworth.org, you'll see that site. And then you can send an inquiry and, and say, hey, we'd like to be involved. Our pregnancy center would like to be involved and have this 24 seven nurse chat. So so um, your, your center can answer it during business hours if you so choose and then have the have our national nurses answer that in the overnights and the weekends when you're not actually at the clinic. Um, and so it, it's an absolutely amazing tool. And, I, and if you're a pregnancy center listening today, uh, it is almost a, at a no cost to you, literally $39 a month, right? So it, there's just really no reason for you not to, to, to be in the space that you need to be in where these girls are looking. In the limited time we have left, Pam, I want to recircle back to a couple things. The abortion pill process is a two-part process, mifepristone and misoprostol. Mifepristone blocking that progesterone, which is so necessary for we as women, if we're pregnant, to continue on with a pregnancy. Low progesterone leads to miscarriages. Now, misoprostol is a endocrine disruptor. So what's significant about all of this and something that's hardly being discussed today, I know you're blowing the whistle on this, is that this is in our drinking water because it has been used so frequently. Can you speak briefly to that and the impact is happening on yeah. other women who want their babies who are drinking water today? Yeah, very quickly, everyone should go to thisischemicalabortion.com and look at the environment, environmental impact. It's right there. But let me just, Timory, two things people need to understand. Number one, if I'm mailing out 14, 1400 milligrams of a very dangerous drug and the girl doesn't take it or only takes five or whatever. And she's told to flush the full on pharmaceutical down the toilet that is entering the water system. And so it doesn't even, it's not a matter of her digesting it and out. You know what I'm saying? It is going directly into the water system. And the other thing people need to understand is that little babies 
from five weeks up to 12, 14, and God knows how old are getting into our water system. They're being flushed down toilets in huge numbers. And so we're seeing fetal baby parts in our drinking water. I know a lot of people are talking about this, the impact on fertility, the sorrowful reality of these babies in our drinking water. So resources, we'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow with regard to drinking water, but please pray for these children and pray for these women in crisis pregnancies as well.